Good morning, church. Welcome to week eight of Biblical Theology of Grief. This morning we'll be looking at grief refocused, increasing heavenly focus as a result of grief. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we slow down now and God, we are once again mindful that you are a God who is sovereign over all things. God who is in complete control and a God who is near. God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather together as your people to seek your word, to seek your word for comfort, for hope, for peace, to seek truth this morning. Father, we know in the world around us there are so Many people chasing after so many things that will give a false hope. God, we thank you for your truth, that your truth that sanctifies us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would comfort us this morning. Father, that you would give us a longing expectancy to be with you for all eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you picked up a... Pamphlet we go with? Yes, pamphlet. <laughs> You'll see there are three different areas we'll be looking at today. Home away from home, home sweet home, and longing to be home. There is not a sweet home Alabama in there. I apologize for those of you that really were hoping. It's not there. But we will have heaven in our foresight looking ahead. Uh, as we get into this this morning... Many of you know that we have lots of documentation that tells a lot about us. We have birth certificates that tell where we were born. We have driver's licenses that state where we live, or where at least we lived at the time that we got that driver's license. We have passports that state our country of origin. But God has sealed every believer with his spirit as a guarantee of our eternal citizenship, which is in heaven. I want you to keep that in perspective this morning as we go through these points this morning. First thing we're looking at is home away from home. And I don't know if you've ever been away from what you would call home for an extended amount of time, but if you have been, you were reminded often that you're not home. Uh, my family spent some time overseas, missionaries in Germany, and we had many reminders that we were not at what we would consider home. At one point, I went to pick up a friend, and I drove to what I thought was his street, and I couldn't find the building, so I pulled over, and I called him. I said, what street do you live on? He said, well, what street are you on? And I looked up, and I said, I'm on Einbahnstrasse. And he said, that means one-way street. And I looked back up, and the arrow was pointing the other way. I said, I'll call you back. <laughs> and that just reminded me real quick, like, this is not home. <laughs> but many of those things happen of just not being home. As we are here in this place, on earth, we are reminded often this is not the home that the Lord speaks of. There are other things going on here that remind us this is not home. For the believer, this is not our true home. Our true home is in heaven. And this time here is but for a moment, but our true home with the Lord will be 
forever. In John chapter 17, Jesus praying, you're probably very familiar with this prayer of Jesus. In John 17, part of this prayer, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, they, speaking of his followers, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he asked the Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Which means this, my friends, if you're a believer here this morning, it's not by chance that you're here. And though you are here, you're not of the world. As we'll read shortly, another verse that your citizenship is in heaven. But though you are here intentionally, and you have been sent here, that we would let others know about Christ. And it would be our time here that we go through what is called a sanctifying process, that we would grow in holiness. Peter describes us this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He refers to believers as sojourners and exiles. This is not our permanent home. We are passing through. And if you slow down and you think about that thought, we should all say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, that this isn't what it's going to be like forever. We are sojourners and exiles. The writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 13, 14, he reminds us that here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, our true home, heaven with our Lord. And so our time here, as I spoke before, it's much different than our true home. This place has troubles. This place has tribulations, sorrow, pain, grief. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, I'm going to slow down this morning. I'm going to let some Bibles go ahead and flip. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have a Bible this morning, I'll let you catch up with me. It's like, go ahead, Robert, keep reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul the Apostle knew what it was like to live in this temporary place. And he knew it was not like our eternal home. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, he describes it this way. He says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Stop there for a moment and just ponder those words. We don't often think about those who have gone before us and the sufferings they have been through, but the Apostle Paul writes that they despaired of even life itself. He says, verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
He says, he delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. There will be a final delivery. Where we are taken from this temporary place and brought home to be with the Lord. But one thing that sorrow and pain, grief does to us, is it often makes us think that this is only me. No one else knows what it's like. The Apostle Paul knew suffering to the point of even despairing of life itself. Paul and Barnabas, traveling through Asia, would tell the believers in Acts 14, I'll read it to you, it's real quick, 14, if you're taking notes, 14.22, Paul and Barnabas said that it is through, they're telling the disciples, that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14.22. means there's going to be difficulties. In many of the contexts of what we read, these difficulties, these tribulations, it's persecution. It's suffering. But the end result of persecution and suffering is the emotion of grief. That we would be grieved by various trials and various difficulties. And the writers of the New Testament knew that very well, what it was like to suffer. And so we are still in this home, away from home, and our greatest pursuit now that we're here is to know Christ. It's to know Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, a very familiar portion of Scripture. Philippians chapter 3. Paul the Apostle would begin that chapter writing about his qualifications. All that he has learned. Many say if we added up his education, he would have multiple PhDs how he lived zealously for the Lord. And then in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, he says regarding all of that, Philippians 3, 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection that all sounds good, right? What about after that comma? And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying the greatest pursuit is to know Christ. At any cost, it's to lay down everything that we might know him. And to know Christ is to know his sufferings. No servant is greater than his master. Our master suffered, and his people will suffer too. As he was a man of sorrows, we too will be people of sorrow. 
as he was grieved, we too will grieve. Paul the Apostle said there is no greater pursuit than to know him. And that if we know him, we will know the resurrection of the dead. That we will have a future home with him forever. You know, the Old Testament saints, they also knew that this wasn't their home. Hebrews chapter 11, we go through one Old Testament saint after another. And it talks about their faith by faith, by faith, by faith. And it talks about how they walked by faith. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. All of these who would walk by faith, and we see that they were looking forward to a future place. Hebrews 11, the opening starts by faith, and it goes through many individuals. By faith, by faith, by faith. Get to verse 13. And what happened? Verse 13 these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Which means this, church, from cover to cover in the Bible, God's people have lived by faith for a future home. That though they are here now living in the present, they're living by faith, not by sight. But there will come a time where we live by sight. That we will no longer be living by faith. That we will see our Lord face to face and we will be with him forevermore. This here is our temporary place, our temporary home. God has prepared a much better home, one that we will spend eternity with him. So let's look at our second point, home, sweet, home. Home, sweet home. How often do we actually think about heaven? That's actually a question. <laughs> Could have been a statement. But how often do we think about heaven? I would venture to say this in my own life, that when things are going really, really well, I'm not often thinking about heaven. There's even a saying, it's heaven on earth, that this is great. But when things are really, really poor, when there is much pain and much sorrow, my attention quickly shifts to, oh, how it'll be when I'm with the Lord in heaven. Jesus, after telling his disciples that he is going to be leaving them, obviously their emotion is grief. They are troubled by hearing he is going to depart. And so in John chapter 14, and you can flip there and look at it, follow along in your Bibles, John 14. Again, another familiar passage. Jesus is telling them he is going away. They're not going to be able to come with him right now. At the beginning of John chapter 14, 
Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be weighed down. Let them not be grieved. John 14.1, he says, believe in me, believe, or excuse me, believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Would you remind me who's speaking here? Who? Don't be afraid. This is Jesus. Jesus, who is God, who cannot lie. And if he makes this promise, guess what? You will fulfill it. He has gone to prepare a place. And so that our vision can no longer just be nearsighted what's in front of us, but farsighted and see that there is a future home that our Lord has prepared for us. And that is the reminder, as I started earlier talking about our passports, talking about a country of origin, that Paul the Apostle would say that our citizenship is in heaven. In heaven. Which means as believer, we live beyond the borders of America. That it is an eternal place. Philippians 3.20, I'll read it to you. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And Paul would say, based upon this, based upon the fact that your citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, the very next verse, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Why stand firm? Because you have a future place to be with the Lord. Because your citizenship is in heaven. Because you're not of this world. Though you are in the world, you're not of this world. So stand firm in the Lord. You will be with him forever. There is some confusion about that, and we'll take a little sidebar about what happens when the believer dies. Like, what, what exactly does that look like? What takes place when somebody in Christ breathes their last? Theologians call it the intermediate state. What does that mean? It means that the spirit, for the first time, is detached from this body, and that spirit goes immediately in perfection in the presence of the Lord. That's why the thief on the cross, Jesus can turn to him and say, Today you will be with me in paradise. But we know from the rest of the teaching of the New Testament that that wasn't going to be bodily. It wasn't going to be in the resurrection glorified body. That waits until Christ comes back the second time that there's the resurrection from the dead. We'll look at some of those verses but that is something that is often confused. What does it look like when we are to breathe our last? What happens? Our spirit is to be with the Lord. Now you think about that and say, well, what does that mean? Well, think about how we're created. I have body and I have spirit. Who, who, who am I? Is it just this skin that clothes all this? It's a spirit. If you've seen somebody who passes away, I remember my grandpa who raised me, loved him dearly, and I went to an open casket and saw him and said, 
Grandpa's not there. I saw the shell of the man, but Grandpa wasn't there. And so the Spirit goes. And so for the believer goes to be with the Lord, to remain there until the Lord Jesus comes back. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. So keep that in perspective as we read this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you get there, it's a long chapter. We're only looking at the end of it. So 1 Corinthians 15, turn to the end of the chapter. We'll start in verse 50. Sadly, there are those who teach something called soul sleep, that you basically just go on the ground and you're unconscious for a long time and nothing goes on until Christ comes back. And that is not what the Bible teaches. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But let's look at when Christ returns and the glorified body that will be given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. Paul the Apostle writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That word sleep right there means we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why? Because of the guarantee of the mortal putting on immortality, of, of the perishable putting on imperishable, of having a glorified body that will be with the Lord forevermore. It is looking to the future that what we do now and how we live now and how we stand fast in the Lord by the grace of the Lord, by the way, you don't do that by pulling up on your bootstraps and saying, I'm going to stand firm. It's by clinging to Christ. But that we will have a body that will once again be reunited with a spirit that has been perfected. And now this body will be perfected. I want you to stop and pause right now. I know we talk about grief in, in all the various ways early on. In, I think it was week two we talked about various forms, that, uh, that various areas of life that bring us grief. Loss of things, loss of relationships, loss of our own health, loss of a loved one. But another thing that brings us grief is sin. If you have the Spirit of God in you and you fall into sin, it grieves you as it grieves the Lord. I want you to think about 
this new home, this heavenly home, where you will have a body reunited with a perfect spirit where there will be no temptation to sin. How often do we want to praise God, desire to honor God, even speak those things from our lips, and then something happens around us and anger comes out of us or something else, and we go, woe is me. I so desire to please him, and then this thing comes up or that comes up, and I see this ugly flesh. Home sweet home is a place where we don't struggle with that ever again. It is a place that we can worship God in the splendor of his majesty without having one thought going this way and one thought going this way, without using our tongue this way to praise him and our tongue this way to curse man. Instead, we'll be perfected. Home sweet home. It is also a place that famously, famously we know in Revelation chapter 21 that we read in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So, so think about this. Your spirit has been perfected. Which means everything about you now has been perfected. Your motives have been perfected. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees, what he called them out of was the motive of their hearts. Outwardly, things looked good, but inwardly, it was quite different. And unfortunately, sadly for us, many times that happens to us as well. But there will come a time when the Spirit is perfected in a glorified body where everything comes out is like Christ. Perfect compassion. Perfect love. No more pain. No more sorrow. It will be home, sweet home. And it will be forever. I have a hard time putting forever into perspective. All I keep thinking about this temporary home is I'm getting old. How laughable is that in comparison to eternity? How, how laughable is it that we have these bodies that are breaking down, but we will be given a perfect body that lasts forever. And so the last thing this morning, as we look to a biblical theology of grief, is longing to be home. Longing to be home. It is often in those times of pain and sorrow and grief that we long to be home with the Lord. It is in those times of, of great spiritual depression that we are in a funk that we just want to be with the Lord. I don't want to go through this anymore. I just want to be with Jesus. Peter understood that believers are going to go through difficult times. They're going to go through trials. First Peter chapter 4, we've read this in the past, verses 12 and 13. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, so first he says, don't be surprised. First Peter 4.12, don't be surprised when difficult times come. But he goes further than just don't be surprised. Of course, don't be surprised. We're in a fallen world. 
But he goes further in verse 13 and says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, the man of sorrows. He says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, in context, Peter is writing about persecution. He's talking about difficult times. He's talking about when the world turns against you because of your faith in Christ. Which, by the, friend, the, end, my, by the way, my friend, the end of that is grief. We are grieved when the world turns against us. A passage I want to dig deep into with you this morning as we look at longing to be home, and I want you to turn there this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll give you a moment to turn there because we'll be there for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to pick up in verse 16, though, as you go home, I'd encourage you to read it all, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now stop for a second. We all are experiencing this. But we have to also experience the perspective that Paul has. That though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Preparing for us this future home. Preparing for us to enter into this future home. Look what the Apostle Paul says in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Stop there for a second. Now, if we just studied the Apostle Paul and studied the sufferings, his whole ministry was about how much he would suffer for Christ's sake. It wasn't an easy life of living the Christian life for the Apostle Paul. He suffered and he suffered and he suffered. He shared in the sufferings of Christ. And then for him to be able to write what he writes here in verse 17, for this light, momentary affliction. Now, those of you that are getting to know me well, you know, I don't like pain. And I'd venture to say most of us don't like pain. But I often don't describe it this way. I don't say it was light. I say, oh man, all of this weight. I would make it seem so much greater. But what Paul the Apostle had in mind was a comparison that compared to the glory that will be revealed to us, compared to home sweet home, this is nothing. But if we don't have that perspective... If we don't understand that, then this affliction is great. But because Paul understood what the future held, the comparison was incomparable. He said it doesn't even compare to the eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. And he said, here is the idea. Don't look at just the things that are seen. 
Cling to the promises that you have in Christ. Look to the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal. And then he continues in chapter 5. You're still there in your Bible. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, that's this, this tent, we have, been, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we were still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that, that we be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here is the point of this passage. Paul is saying we will go through suffering. He understands that suffering. But with the perspective and understanding of heaven, he knows they're not comparable. He knows that this in comparison of what he's going through to heaven is a light, momentary affliction. Why momentary? Because our time here doesn't compare with eternity. This is momentary. And then he goes through and says, look, this body is failing but it's going to be clothed again. We're going to be given a new body. And his hope here is that, look, don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. Now it's clinging to the promises because one day we will only walk by sight. I don't know about you, but it is in time of pain and, and sorrow and grief that we would say what Paul says here. I would rather be away from the body and with the Lord. I'd rather not be going through this right now, and I'd rather be with my Lord. It is that time of grief that gives us that longing for heaven, for the better home, and prepares our hearts and our minds for that better place. I'm going to take you one more place this morning. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, a passage, Passages of this are often uh, quoted, and yet we don't understand the, the context. Paul is speaking of suffering here in this chapter. And so Romans chapter 8, if you would turn there, he begins by talking about there being no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. He then goes back and forth and says, but you need to be in the spirit, not in the flesh, and that you have to have the spirit of Christ if you are his, if you do not have the spirit of Christ, he argues, you are not his. Then he gets to verse 16. Pick up with me there in verse 16. He says, The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, stop there. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Have you ever just paused on that? Like, we have no worthiness of our own. We, we don't have, like, salvation itself is based upon Christ alone. It's not because somehow we did something that merited it. What we did was sin. What we did is bring Christ to the cross to, to shed his blood. And not only are we forgiven, but then we have an inheritance to share with God and Christ. You want to talk about grace upon grace? I mean, it's not just a little bit of blessing you have in Christ. You have the full riches of Christ to be co-heirs. But look at verse 18. Paul says something similar here that he said to the Corinthians. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, comparison. To have that insight that yes, we will go through pain. Yes, we will go through sorrow. Yes, there will be a lot of grief. But if we understand the promises of Christ and we understand home sweet home, that there is a home in heaven prepared for us, then the comparison, there is no comparison. And Paul then lays out in practical terms the groaning, the longing. Continue reading with me here in verse 19. He speaks of creation itself. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That, that's the place we're in now. That, that we would long for heaven that we would grow inwardly as we await to be with our Lord. That as we grieve, we do not grieve without hope, but we have a great hope, an incomparable hope. That our suffering, our sorrow, our grief would all cause us to long for heaven. That our longing would increase. And for the believer... Our home in heaven is not wishful thinking. It is something promised by our Lord. And so we cling to this promise. We find strength in this promise. We find comfort in this promise. We find peace in this promise. We find hope in this promise. That though there is pain now, Soon there will be, listen, only joy. Think about that for a moment. Only joy. That's it. You have at the end of your outline there, Spurgeon, who said, Tears are permitted, but they must glisten in the light of faith and hope. 
Let's pray together. Father, we often speak about your blessings. We speak of your goodness. Father, there are so many layers to it. Father, we speak often of the gospel of your son, Jesus. We speak of salvation that has come through him. We speak of him giving himself upon that cross that we might be forgiven, that we might be clothed in his righteousness, that we might be able to come boldly before you. But Lord, there are layers and layers of the riches that are afforded to us. And as we look even further, we see our future home, our eternal home. Father, I pray that you would help us to be those who would long for heaven, that we would long with expectancy. God, that as we go through this world of tribulation and trials and sufferings, various forms of grief, that we would cling to the promise that our Lord Jesus has gone before us to prepare a place for us, a place that we will be with him forevermore. God, may this promise, may this hope strengthen us and comfort us and give us peace at all times. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.